Well, our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. As you know, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, or as you're finding out now, if you're just visiting today, we're working our way through this great letter of the Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, the letter to the Romans. Now, Paul's main message in this letter as a whole is that there's only one way for us to be right with God, and that's by God's grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. That's where Paul is going in this letter. He's going to show us that righteousness, being right with God, is God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. But before we can get there, before we can understand that faith in Jesus is the only thing that makes us right with God, Paul needs to show us that on our own, we're not right with God. That on our own, we're unrighteous. And that's the section of this letter that we're in now, where Paul is showing us that apart from Jesus Christ, all people are unrighteous and subject to God's wrath. This section of the letter started in last week's text with Paul's bold claim that the basic truth about God has been right there in plain sight since the creation of the world. The way that the world is made and the fact that it exists at all point to the truth about God, that he's real, that he's the creator of all things, that he's wholly good. But, Paul says, humankind exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We willfully closed our eyes to the truth about God and started worshipping idols instead. And this was the start of all kinds of unrighteousness. When people closed their eyes to the truth about God, they fell into all kinds of sin and became subject to God's wrath. So Paul made the point in last week's text that nobody can escape God's wrath by pleading ignorance. The problem isn't that God didn't make himself known. The problem is that we shut our eyes to what he was showing us. So we're without excuse, Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 20. We can't weasel our way out from underneath God's wrath by pretending we didn't know he existed. Now today, in this passage, Paul builds on that same thought by arguing further that we can't escape God's judgment by pretending we didn't know God would one day be our judge. That's the big idea in this text today. So it begins in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul's point here is simple but profound. When you pass judgment on another person, whether or not you realize it, you're accepting the principle that all people come under judgment for their works, not just other people, but you too. Every one of you who judges, Paul says, he's talking about all of us, because we all make moral judgments every day. Let me give you an example. 
This is one of my favorite judgments to make. I often go to Point Pelee, the beautiful national park that's so close to us here in Windsor. And every time I go, I go to the beach and I see garbage lying on the beach. And when I see that, I think to myself, whoever put that there did something wrong. People who don't care about polluting this beach are bad. Right? I have those judgment thoughts. And you know what? I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> it is wrong to leave garbage on the beach. There is actually something wrong with the heart of a person who would do that and not care. Human beings are supposed to care for God's beautiful creation and not spoil it. If we need to throw something out, the very least we can do, right, is to, to walk to the garbage can. We're supposed to clean up our own messes in life, not leave them for others. That's the judgment I make. But you know what? I, too, have made messes that I've left for others to clean up. I, too, have made a beautiful place ugly without thinking about how it would affect the people around me. Let me confess something to you, brothers and sisters. I still haven't gotten rid of our family Christmas tree. I took it out to the curb for pickup sometime back in January, but nobody came to pick it up. I, I guess I took it out too late in the day. So did I put it in my car and take it to the dump? No, I couldn't be bothered, so I just left it there. Now eventually, around the middle of February, I think, I started to feel ashamed of having this ugly Christmas tree right in front of my house. So did I, at that point, take it into my car and take it to the dump? No, I, I dragged it into the alley behind my house. I really did this, I'm sorry to say. And it's still there now. An ugly, rust-brown Christmas tree that my neighbors have to look at when they look out of their side windows. So you see what's happened here, right? It's a silly example, but something quite serious has happened. As Paul says, in passing judgment on another... I actually condemn myself. I know that people should take responsibility for their trash. And yet I don't take responsibility for my trash. I judge those who leave garbage on the beach as too lazy to carry it to the garbage can, but I practice the very same thing. I'm too lazy to take that tree to the dump. So the moral principle by which I have judged others comes back onto me too. I know it, I know the law, and yet I don't follow it. So I am truly, as Paul says, without excuse. This is just one example, right? The same logic applies to any other sin and to any other judgment that we make. When we see other people gossip, or boast, or lie, cheat, steal. We recognize that these things are wrong, right? We make that judgment. We recognize that that kind of behavior is subject to judgment. As Paul puts it in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But at the same time, we ourselves are every day acting in these same ways breaking the same moral principles, the same laws that we would uphold when it comes to others. So then, 
Paul asks us in verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge others, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? The answer is no, you won't. No one can escape the judgment of God, for he is the judge of all people. Skipping down to verse 5, Paul tells us that there is coming a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. On that day, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. This is the consistent teaching of Scripture in Old and New Testament that God will righteously judge all people according to their works, according to the way we live this life he has given us. Now, you may remember that the Bible divides the whole world into two groups of people. The Jews, God's chosen people, specially called out of all the other nations to be the ones to whom he gave the law and the prophets. And then, on the other hand, the Gentiles, everybody else. In the New Testament, Gentiles are sometimes called Greeks, because even though most of them aren't from Greece, Greek was the main international language at that time. So there's two types of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. And you might think that since the Jews are God's special chosen people, that these two groups would receive rather different treatment on the Day of Judgment. But no, Paul emphasizes that God will judge all people by the same standard. He continues in verse 9, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. When it comes to the day of God's righteous judgment, what counts isn't whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. What counts is whether you are righteous or unrighteous. Paul continues in verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law, that's the Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, the Jews, will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The Jews are definitely hearers of the law. They have the law of Moses and they read it day by day and week by week. They know what God's law is and they know that they're under it. But so what? If they don't do the law, if they don't live according to it, then their knowledge of the law won't excuse them on the day of judgment. To the contrary, it will actually condemn them because they knew what God wanted them to do and they didn't do it. But Gentiles can't get off the hook either by pleading ignorance of God's law. 
Yes, it's true that the Gentiles don't have the law of Moses. They don't have the same scriptures revealed to them by God that the Jews do. But, Paul argues in verse 14, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, then they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Paul is talking here about the conscience. That inner part of you that encourages you to do what you think is right and that nags at you when you've done what you think is wrong. Paul says that the conscience is like a law written on the heart of every human person. And everyone has this. It's part of how God in his wisdom created us, Jew and Gentile alike. Every human being has this conscience. So the Gentiles don't have the law of Moses, but they do have this law written on their hearts, this inward sense of right and wrong. They can't obey or disobey the law of Moses, since they don't even know about it, but they can obey or disobey the promptings of their own conscience. Now, let me make something really clear here, something that's really important for us to to grasp. Paul is not saying that what's written on the hearts of Gentiles matches up perfectly with the law that God revealed to the Jews. Paul is not saying that every human being in his or her heart uh, has, has a sense of right and wrong that they can follow, and that's just as good as following what God says in the Bible. No, that's not true, and that's not what Paul is saying. Our consciences are not perfect. They're not infallible. Unlike the Bible, they're not perfectly trustworthy guides. Sometimes they steer us right, and sometimes they steer us astray. Paul writes about this in verse 16, about the conflicting thoughts of the conscience. Sometimes our thoughts accuse us, sometimes our thoughts excuse us, right? And it's true that what your conscience tells you is right might be conflicting with what my conscience tells me is right. My conscience might accuse me for leaving that Christmas tree out, and yours might excuse you, saying, oh, it's not a big deal, that was the city's fault or something. So it's important that we understand this. Not everyone's conscience is exactly the same. We're not all set to the same settings. And nobody's conscience, no matter who you are, is totally reliable. That's why, as human beings with a conscience, each of us has a duty not only to obey our conscience, but to educate our conscience, to form our conscience according to the truth that God reveals in Scripture. That's part of our duty as moral agents, as human beings, not just to listen to those promptings, but to instruct those promptings with God's law. But for the argument that Paul is making here, it doesn't really matter how your conscience is calibrated. It doesn't really matter how reliable it is. What matters is the fact that you have one at all. The Gentiles have a law written on their hearts. It might not match up exactly with God's law, but it's there. And Paul tells us that this is enough to make them accountable to God. They have an inner sense of morality. And they make moral judgments about themselves and about others. 
And so they can't be surprised to find that they themselves fall under moral judgment. For you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Your conscience might accuse you, might judge you badly, it might excuse you, judging that actually you're fine. But the fact that you make these kinds of judgments at all should teach you that you yourself will fall under God's judgment. I think that's Paul's point here. Now, maybe some of us are thinking, okay, so God's going to give eternal life to those who do good, and he's going to punish those who do evil. Well, I'm not that worried. I'm, I'm one of the good ones. I'll just keep being a nice person, and I like my odds on the day of judgment. I think I'm going to be okay. Well, if that's what you're thinking, then please pay attention because you're badly missing the point here. We are all, Paul says, among those who judge and yet practice the very same things for which we judge others. That means we're all among those who have violated both our own conscience and God's law. All of us. So when Paul says in this passage that God will reward the righteous, those who do good, he's talking about something that, apart from Jesus Christ, would be entirely hypothetical. God would give eternal life to the righteous if he could find any, but he can't. There's nobody who considered in his or herself, considered on his or her own merit, there's nobody who can be counted righteous before God. Paul is going to spell this out for us crystal clear when we get to chapter 3 in a couple weeks. He says there, no one is righteous. No, not one. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. So to, rec- yeah, to receive the grace that God extends to us in Jesus Christ, we have to first understand this about ourselves. That on our own merits, considered, considered as what we are apart from Jesus' saving help, we would have no claim at all on God's reward. We would never be able to stand under God's righteous judgment. Considered in ourselves apart from Jesus Christ, we are not those who do good and receive eternal life. We are those who are condemned by our own judgments, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Those for whom there is wrath and fury on that great day of judgment. That's what Paul is telling us here. But that's not where Paul is leaving us, of course. Paul's point is not that we're all doomed, totally without hope. No, Paul's point is that our only hope for salvation is in Jesus. As we go on in this series, we're going to get to talk in glorious detail all about how in Jesus, God makes us righteous, how he justifies us, making us right with him, and gives us that free gift of eternal life. So be patient with Paul and with your preachers. We are getting there. We'll get there. And and today, we can end this sermon with a little hint of what's to come. As we went through this morning's text, I skipped over verse 4. So let's go there now, verse 4. 
Do you presume, Paul asks us, on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, this is a pretty intense verse, much of a piece with this whole passage. But if you listen closely, you can hear that it's actually full of hope. This verse is full of hope because it tells us that God's wrath is not the only thing that he has towards us unrighteous sinners. Yes, it's true that God has wrath against sin and against sinners. But at the same time, God has a wonderful kindness and forbearance and patience towards us. This is the backbone of the gospel. God's loving kindness towards us, even towards us unrighteous sinners. Because he loves us, he patiently puts off the day of judgment for a little while. That's what forbearance means. He he puts it off for a while. So that his kindness has time to seek us out and save us for him. Before it's too late. Paul says we mustn't presume on God's kindness. That means we mustn't ever think, oh well, even if I sin, who cares? God's probably going to let me off the hook and just let me into heaven anyway. No, that's exactly the kind of hard-hearted, unrepentant attitude that Paul warns us invites God's wrath. We must never presume on God's kindness. But brothers and sisters, we can and we should absolutely rejoice. Rejoice that in his kindness, God has made a way of salvation. We can't escape God's wrath by making excuses for ourselves. But by God's grace, we can escape his wrath by letting his kindness lead us to repentance in Jesus Christ. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, Paul says. And if you're a Christian, this is already a reality in your life. Because of the kindness that God has shown you in Jesus, you have turned to him in repentance and faith. And because you've repented and trusted in Jesus for rescue, you have received the forgiveness of God. You've been made righteous in God's sight, not on your own merits because of what you've done, but because of Jesus' perfect merit, because of what he has done for you. You've received the Holy Spirit, who day by day is growing the righteousness of God in you and putting to death the sin that's in you. So, brothers and sisters, knowing that we will one day all be judged by God, let's soberly throw away any excuses that we might make. Any excuses by which we might be tempted to justify ourselves. Throw that away. Instead, let's throw ourselves in repentance and faith on the kindness of God our Savior, who by his grace in his love for us, has made us right with him through Jesus Christ. Amen.